0: Welcome to Sleep Talk, the podcast about all things sleep, brought to you by sleephub.com.au. Here are your hosts, Dr David Cunnington and Dr Moira Junger.
1: This episode was recorded before the coronavirus pandemic lockdown. We're in a different world now, so travel restrictions do mean that fly-in, fly-out work that we discuss in this episode is on hold for the moment. If you're looking for tips on how to sleep well and maintain good physical and mental health during these challenging times, check out our bonus episode on sleep in uncertain times for help on sleep during our current pandemic and lockdown. On with the episode. So welcome to episode 53 of Sleep Talk, the podcast talking all things sleep. And welcome Moira. Hello, Dave. And we've got a guest co-host with us this episode, Dr. Ian Dunnegan. Welcome, Ian. <laughs> Ian. I thank forgot you. what time of
2: day
0: was. <laughs> thanks for joining us. It's
1: good, good to take advantage of the fact that you're in town so that you can actually join us face-to-face and we can talk about the yep. issue of fly-in, fly-out workers. Yeah. And Maura, you've just come back from WA and the, yes, the I, Wilds. And... Yes, I
0: did my own fly-in, fly-out work. So it's a great hot topic, actually. I'm really. It's a great honour to have Ian here today and... We can pick his brain about all those things. In fact, the irony is you're doing your own fly and fly out a little bit. I am, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just landed here in
2: Melbourne for the (laughs) week. Yeah. 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 But it's a little bit nicer than a mine
1: site. So then what's topical this month, Maura?
0: Well, I guess we're all thinking about the upcoming conference, the sleep down under, which of course is always around October. This year it's in Brisbane. What about you? What's what's topical for you?
1: Well. Who knew it's actually cow showing season? So, I've been doing the rounds of cattle shows, <laughs> sleeping in cattle yards in a swag with my yeah. son. And it's just been an interesting firsthand observation for me of how people sleep. Yeah. And, you know, we see people in our office all day with the, well, I can't sleep unless I've got my eye shades and my mask and my things in my ears and I've blacked out the light. Well, I've spent a number of weekends with people sleeping next to cattle, mooing all night on a swag or on the ground. And it's just an interesting observation. Of sleep in the wild.
0: What's your uh, anecdotal report that people, most people sleep well in that environment?
1: Yes, surprisingly yeah. well. But it's but it's like people hurt. If you're showing cattle, I think you must be habituated to the cows mooing. So, you know, I wake at four o'clock when the cows start mooing because they want to be milked or whatever. That's the dairy ones. Yeah, others seem to just go with it and, you know, seems to be very comfortable with it. Interesting to observe people in, in the wild sleeping for a sleep geek. So the theme for this month's podcast is looking at sleep-in, fly-in, fly-out workers and some of the issues both around sleep and fatigue. Now, fly-in, fly-out workers defined as circumstances of work where the place of work is sufficiently isolated from the worker's place of residence to make a daily commute impractical. And it's actually pretty common in Australia. So, in Western Australia, where Ian is from, there were around 60,000 flying flyout workers in around 2015, and around 30,000 in Queensland. It's really important to discuss because what's really become evident is that there are significant mental health issues problems as well as sleep and fatigue problems in -in, fly-in, fly-out workers. A report from the West Australian Mental Health Commission in 2018 Mm -hmm. showed that psychological distress was high in -in, fly-in, fly-out workers. Levels of burnout are high. Sleep quality significantly worse. There's high rates of fatigue, particularly when transitioning from work to home. And I saw a patient last week, Ian, who You know, he's doing his fourteen days on, and he was working in Port Hedland, and then he'd come home to regional Victoria, twenty-seven hours from start of shift in Mm. Port Hedland to arriving at his front door at home. He's in his early forties. He's got young kids. He'd been to his GP, just going, I am exhausted. And his GP sent him to me going, oh, he snores occasionally. I think he's got sleep apnea. I was flat out exhausted. And what he said to me in the consultation, he was, he said, I was just hoping the GP would start a conversation about burnout and mood and depression because I really feel like I'm at the end of my tether.
0: The GP probably didn't know how to have that conversation or didn't want to have time for it, didn't want to go down that path.
1: Yeah, well, maybe in regional Victoria because, you know, the fly-in-fly-out workers, we think of them as WA and Queensland, they actually come sometimes from the eastern states. You know, it's not the person you're seeing every day, mm. whereas maybe a WA-based GP would be like, yeah, OK, I, I heard about the Royal Commission, the Mental Health Commission, and you know, I know these are the things I've got to look at. So, and to help us better understand some of these issues, can you just talk us through what are some of the conditions for workers on mine sites and these fly-in, fly-out workers?
2: Yeah, so a classic kind of remote mine site in Western Australia, as many people might have seen on TV, is, you know, generally... In the middle of nowhere, you know, hours from the nearest town, you don't have any services around there generally. So you're generally going to talk, it's talking about one to two hours probably to the nearest town or even a roadhouse, sometimes even further. The mining camp is generally located within five to ten kilometres of the actual mining operation, sometimes a bit further just depending on the topography. You might have anything from an average of, you know, or a minimum of 400 rooms, up to even 1,000 rooms. Some of these camps can be up to two kilometres in diameter, and they're generally kind of focused around a hub in the middle, which will have a kitchen, a rec room, uh, what we call a wet mess, where people can get alcoholic beverages or non-alcoholic beverages, and they'll have what's called a dry mess, which is basically where you get your food. So kind of similar to military terminology, if people have been in the military, you might have heard of wet and dry messes. Generally has a gym as well, may have some tennis courts, walking track, you know, and a few other things as well, depending on the camp. Some of the newer camps have got an area where you can, you know, hit a golf ball, like a driving range, may have a small swimming pool and so on. In saying that, it is no luxury accommodation. It's not like you're staying at a five-star resort. It's uh, pretty big. The rooms themselves are generally what's referred to as a donga, which is basically some sort of, I don't know, fibro-plywood-type room (laughs) with a single bed uh, with springs nice and squeaky every time you turn around. Uh, you generally have a fluorescent light right over your head as a reading light, which for bright light therapy is probably good, but not for sleeping. The room's got a fluorescent light. You generally have a TV. Some mine sites have Foxtel, which is good and bad because some guys stay up all night watching movies. You have a small little fridge and you got a small little ensuite as well, which is basically have a, th- a toilet, a hand basin, and a shower in there. So that's kind of what the room is. Some have Wi Fi, some don't have Wi Fi. Them dongers then are grouped into three or four in a, in a block together. And you have multiple of those blocks uh, throughout the whole place, which can be uh, a little bit frustrating because you're on top of one another. So, if your neighbour's snoring, you might hear that as well if they're jumping around or uh, generally have a small window as well, at which you have block out, um, the ability to block out. But a lot of people will actually use aluminium foil. Commonly called alfoil or tinfoil, where I come from. On the
0: window, People will mm-hmm. wet that and stick it mm-hmm. to the window
2: so yep. no light can actually come through and sometimes tape around the door or have some way of blocking out the light from coming in from inside, as uh, outside, inside.
0: Yeah, well, the camp I was just in, like, I had a week or five, six nights, and I couldn't believe the quality of the blinds. Like, it was complete block out. And the door somehow or other had a, a thing underneath it that I didn't, there was no light coming in. Yeah. Except there was a little glow from the TV which I didn't even I didn't turned on once anyway. But, and yeah, so it's impressive that they can have those conditions at least because you need them mm-hmm. because if you're not trying to sleep in the heat and the day and noise, I guess. Yeah.
1: And so you've described the recreational facilities. Do they get a chance to use them? What are the hours like?
2: So this is interesting, so it can be quite difficult there's numerous amounts of rosters across sort of mining in Australia. And I think it's important to to know as well that fly-in, fly-out is particularly unique to Western Australia. You said some numbers, David, at the start of the podcast. Uh, I've worked all across the world doing this type of work around fatigue and human performance. And the highest concentration of FIFO is in Western Australia, mm-hmm. followed then by Queensland. So this isn't common for this to happen across the world, really. It's more common here, uh, more common in Western Australia. The hours can be... If we take the roster cycle first, the most common roster cycle is probably two weeks on, one week off, followed by um, an eight days on, six days off, seven nights, seven off roster cycle, which is now starting to gain more popularity because it's what people would call as an even time roster or more time off, family friendly, and a lot more younger people coming into the industry are demanding that sort of roster so you can have more time off. Obviously, that's got slightly less pay because you're working slightly less hours, so people longer in the industry. Don't really like that so some companies will have a mix of those rosters to give people the option now with those we'll take the two and one for example so in general you'll probably awake at three o'clock in the morning on the very first day you'll get to the airport somewhere between five and six a.m depending on where you're commuting from you will check in you will fly then two hours to a mine site you will drop your bag in a room you will go to work and you will work until about six or half six that evening then you will you know basically be off that night that evening for your first night and you're back up around four, half four the next morning to start work by six. That means you're in the truck or at the operation by six o'clock. So in general, it's a 12 and a half hour uh, day shift, 12 hours on the, on the tool, so to speak, and then a half an hour to allow for handover. But you've also got to get up before that, have your breakfast, pack your lunch, bring your lunch, get a bus. So you although your shift may not start till 6 a.m., you may be on that bus at ten past five, which is not uncommon. So you got to be up at like half four. And if you want to go to the gym in the morning, you might have to be up before that as well. So you're constantly eating away at your sleep opportunity. Then after work, like you say, the dry mess and the wet mess are only open for a certain amount of time. So if people want to go to the gym, they've got a short window of opportunity to do that. Then they may want to, you know, go and have a meal and then maybe have a beer after that before they go to bed, call their family. So there's not really that much time left over to really enjoy those facilities. A lot of people think that go to site and have a, they can hit a golf club, they can jump in the pool, but there's very limited opportunity. So for me, when I was doing fly-in, fly-out myself, if I got an hour workout in, that was a big workout. And I wasn't even going to the,
1: the wet mess at the time. You know, I talked about the guy I saw who had transitioned from far Western Australia to regional Victoria, sort of in coming home, Yeah, the flying out. You know, how far do people travel and how long does that take and what's that look like?
2: Yeah, so you got
1: people coming from
2: uh, all areas. And as you said with that guy there, he probably came off seven nights. So he came off the night shift in the morning, flew back to Perth, then probably jumped on another flight to Melbourne, and then probably drove as well. So it's it's a long time um, traveling. Not to mention you got those seven nights where you're at risk. You know, you've got a sleep debt that's accrued over that time. So your decision making and your performance driving may not be so good. But to answer your initial question, there's people coming from around the Perth metropolitan area, for example, in Western Australia. You've also got people coming from regional. So it's not too uncommon to see people driving from Albany six hours up to Perth before a flight. So they'd be leaving before midnight, Mm -hmm. driving up, then going on the flight and then working all day. So they could be awake nearly 20 hours at least and a lot of time working as well on the first day. And they have the reverse happening as well on the last day, coming off night shift. So you've got people coming in from places like Albany, Bustledon people in the Perth metropolitan area, people coming in from interstate, interstate as well, like you, the, the guy from Melbourne or Brisbane, generally they, they have to come in the day before and then stay overnight in the hotel. However, we have seen in the past those people don't get a hotel. They just get into the airport and they sleep on chairs. So it's not a very good night's sleep. And we also see a lot of people in Western Australia flying in from places like Bali and Thailand. So Bali's only, I think you can fly direct from Port Hedland to Bali. So it's less than two hours. So it's like flying to Perth if you're in, up in the Pilbara region. And it's a lot cheaper as well. And so a lot of people elect to to live in Bali and come in from there as well. Or people fly back to Perth and then fly to Thailand.
0: My work has always been as a psychologist, like in a the like clinical setting, etc. It's never been my, my thing to be fatigue management specialist. But I'm interested in the, you know, the psychological effects now. I think it, it's become something of great interest to me. And I think I do have mm-hmm. some expertise, something to offer in that area. What are your thoughts or your comments on, on that the mental health risks, I guess?
2: The mental health risks obviously have gained more um, earplay, so to speak, in the news, uh, popular media, or even in the scientific community over the last few years. And I think rightly so, because people are spending a long time away mm-hmm. uh, in these regions. They don't have much downtime.
0: Yeah, and the suicide um, risks. Are, suicide. I mean, the rates are higher. They've been reported. As, yeah,
2: yeah. I think there's a there's probably a couple of different uh, inputs into that. There's obviously there, there's the the structure of the rosters, how they're designed, long days, early mornings, you know, late nights. It's difficult to maybe keep in contact. So people kind of think that we have Wi-Fi and you know phones and FaceTime and all that, and it's probably easier to stay in contact. But it can be harder because maybe maybe people are getting more. I don't want to sound like it's negative, but It can be because they're maybe to have more input each day from home. And so they might be missing it more or they Mm -hmm. might be getting more problems being presented to them as opposed to being away for the full two weeks. So that can be um, that -hmm. can be an impact as well. Mm -hmm. So personally, like I started off in the military and I know for me being away for two or three weeks or a few months, sort of away from what This was back in the 90s. And you didn't have all that communication. Yeah, didn't have the phone. Was letters phones. every now and yeah. then. So you didn't have people texting you or ringing you or yeah. giving you problems all that. Yeah, didn't have to solve uh, problems if yeah. you weren't there. Yeah, <laughs> <So, laughs> exactly. So yeah. that that can be a factor as well. Mm. The other thing is, obviously, people think that fly and fly out, people earn hundreds and thousands of dollars. The mm. salaries are good, but they're not as good as people think. Mm. So there might be a lot of financial burden mm. on them. Maybe family and friends are happening, so to speak, for money or looking yes. to look after their people. People yes. may be divorced, looking after a new family and another family. Mm. So there's all these type of pressures as well. Mm. And then secondly, if we kind of go up the chain from an organisational design point of view, we've got these long rosters, long hours. As we see in Western Australia at the moment, there's lots of redundancies happening or rolling redundancies. So That's a lot of stress as well. Job cuts or, you know, these are, these things all impact people's mental health as well. And then if people are not having any downtime or exercise all these issues just get exacerbated you know, and so it can be very difficult for people to manage these in a remote environment.
1: In the workers that you work with, and when you go out to mines, what do you see in terms of the health problems of the flying flyer workers? The big
2: areas that we're seeing, Dave, is, and we generally go in at a management level to look at the strategy and the system design of it and what's the impact of that onto the, onto the workforce. But I like to get out and talk to the guys on, you know, driving the truck or on a drill and blast crew or, um, you know, in the, in the production plant or maintenance and so on. And then obviously we try and collect data as well to quantify that issue. And so the biggest ones we're seeing at the moment is a high rate of shift work disorder. We're also seeing a high rate of BMI, body mass index. We're also seeing um, high alcohol use as well. Now, unfortunately, nobody's been really able to quantify this in peer reviewed publications in, in the mining industry. And it's quite sad to say that we've probably got about less than ten publications in the mining industry globally looking at fatigue risk management. Yeah, it's really poor. Really? That's yeah, surprising. It's surprising. It is it is surprising and lots of people think that this, this sort of issue has is been cracked and nailed and everybody's mm. got, you know, perfectly deployed. And the, 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 it's actually the opposite. Yeah. Um, more and more companies are floundering with this issue, don't know where to start, they're spending money in the wrong place. I've come across companies spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars on technology and their problem actually gets worse. It can be quite frustrating for me to look at that as an expert because trying to engage operations to to, to work on it is quite difficult. But at the individual level, high BMI, which obviously you know, uh, increased risk for not only sleep disorders, but other metabolic conditions as well, metabolic conditions um high alcohol use and a high amount of shift work disorder. And when we talk about shift work disorder, people go, no, no, no! I've been doing shift work for 10, 10 years, I'm fine. Yeah, but you clinically have sleep di- shift work disorder. Mm-hmm. It's a sleep disorder. So people don't even know about it as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So we're collecting some preliminary data with a PhD student who's doing her PhD in this area, Lady and Maisie. We can't mention the site at present somewhere in Western Australia, so throw a dart and pick a place. <laughs> but she has found that 40% of the people that she surveyed, approximately 90 people, 40% of those have high high risk of shift work disorder. And the average sleep is about 6.2 hours. That's inclusive of day shift, night shift and time off. So the average at the moment that we're saying in the data collection is about 6.2 hours, well below the recommended seven to nine. Yes. In other data we've collected through our consultancy business, Milius Consulting, we have found that there is a high prevalence of binge drinking behaviour going on in mine sites, high BMI, greater than the statistics, not just the national population, but also in the mining population, and a higher prevalence of sleep disorders in this population as well, mainly obstructive sleep apnea.
0: And what about the drug use yeah, do you detect that as well as the alcohol use and t- t- test for that?
2: We haven't done mm-hmm. any sort of, we haven't quantified anything around the drug use. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason being that kind of can get a little bit of an emotive issue with the guys. Alcohol is probably, mm-hmm. you know, about as far as we're going to get. Um, mm-hmm. I think if we were to get into sort of the drug use, um, I think we would get false data at the moment as well because it's, it's a sackable offence for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, in, in operations for a, lot, or for a lot of companies. And so we might may not get the true representation where I think with alcohol being legal, guys tend to generally you know report that more honestly mm-hmm. to us. Yeah, and do you get a feel for what's driving the binge drinking? Partly it's a sense of camaraderie and team building. So it's a hard day for, you know, you look at these these teams out and drill and blast. It's, it's tough out there in the heat, 40, 50 degrees down in the pit. It's hard work. They're outside all day. Uh, if you look at a truck driver, it's generally a pretty lonely, solitary job. You're in mm-hmm. a truck all day on your own. Mm-hmm. The only interaction is you get with someone on a on a radio telling you to go to, you know, a certain, you know, stockpile or back to the rom to in a mine. So you're just going forward and back. It's pretty lonely. So I think the interaction is that's the only interaction that's really there. Yeah. And I think too many operations are really focused on the alcohol centered stuff. And some operations have tried to put in other stuff as well. But I think there's other things that could be done. You know, meditation, yoga. Maybe have run some TAFE courses and even something, even during forty-five minute classes or some short courses, something to get people away from from alcohol. I think uh, a lot of mining mine, mining operations have a. They're, they're too focused on alcohol, you know. Mm-hmm. If something goes well, oh, let's put on a few drinks at the mess. Yeah. Or oh, the guys pulled together, there was a maintenance problem, let's put on a few drinks. Oh, it's Christmas, let's put on a few drinks. It's Friday night, let's put on fish and chips at the wet mess. It's all kind of alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. Mm-hmm. And as we know in this room as well, which a lot of shift workers don't know, is that alcohol might help you get to sleep, but actually impacts the quality of your sleep. Okay. So many people are also using that as a sleep medication yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, big time. I found that too, that especially the day shift workers. I was talking about strategies, and quite a lot of them say, yep, three beers, put the hand up, three beers, say they're in laughs. And I say, and educate them that, that you know, of course it has a sedative, a sedative effect. Of course it does, can make you feel more sleepy more quickly, but it definitely disrupts sleep, definitely impacts, um, impairs sleep. And the, the quality of the sleep, the more wakings, the quality of how you feel, you're not, re- you know, it's not refreshing.
2: Mm. And if you keep, if you look at this in a kind of a circular thing, you talk about, so the alcohol helps get, get to sleep, more awakenings, so it's impacting the quality of the sleep and the duration of the sleep. Then they're waking up early because of the roster design. So yes. that's further restriction of sleep. Then they're going to work all day in a hot, you know, harsh environment. You know, they're on their own. The, the, the diet and nutrition is probably not the best throughout the day because they're using alerting strategies on sugar, yeah. caffeine and so on. Yeah. Which even, you know, I do, if I do a day trip, I'm like, my eyes are crossed by 12 o'clock, I'm like trying to stay awake. Yeah. Then come the evening. You know, they're eating a lot of meat because you can basically serve yourself in these, in these dry messes. So guys are like ordering a couple of steaks, lots of chips, lots of fried food. You can have a lot of ice cream in these places as well. People go crazy to ice cream machine. So they're gaining weight from that as well. Then they're drinking more alcohol, which gains weight, affects their sleep. We know leptin and ghrelin as well. So they get themselves into this vicious cycle. And I met one guy that in 12 months of doing shift work, he gained 20 kilos. When I first went working in mining in Dampier back in the early 2000s, I put on 10 kilos in a year and I was still exercising every day and I wasn't doing shift work, but it was just having a few beers, going to barbecues, all that social type thing. Oh, it's too hot. I'll just do 5Ks instead of 10Ks. I won't walk to the shop because it's too hot. Yeah. Next next time I was up to 85 kilos.
1: So we've talked about the problems. So what needs to happen to try to improve the lot of flying fly-out workers? So the first
2: place I always say to organizations is look at yourself first. So look at organizations. There's two ways to look at this. Organizational review and individual review. If the problem is there like we we spoke about, there's no point in going to individuals first. We need to look at the organizational review. So one, has the companies designed their rosters, their flight times, their whole approach to the roster in accordance with good circadian biology, chronobiology? And I think a lot of people don't even realize that about time of day effects as well. A lot of operations are run by engineers and they think that every hour is equal. They just think, oh, hours on, hours off, it's just all equal. So trying to explain that circadian biology. Explain in chronobiology what happens at these different times of the day. So we can use what's called biomathematic modelling to work that out and show the companies what's the best roster to choose. And we can plan out multiple scenarios, start times, finish times, break times, two and one, three and one, eight and six. We can quantify those all out. And then the second thing we need to do is look at it from a commercial aspect as well. So let's not be silly about this. It's not all about just ticking a box from a health perspective. We have to make it work from a commercial perspective as well, because they're businesses, 24-7 operations. They've invested millions or billions of dollars into these assets and they want a return. So let's not be naive about that. So we've got to work out what's the commercial return on this as well and how can that enable productivity? But first of all, how can it keep people safe, lower those incidents? So, on some sites, we see the incidents that can accumulate into three million dollars per year because of these fatigue related incidents but when these whole trucks hit one another or a digger mm-hmm. interacts with a whole truck as well we've come across multiple incidents that have been in excess of a million dollars so if we can eliminate that a lot of times the accountants and the managers kind of pick up and go okay so from a property point damage point of view we can lower that cost as well so we look at that from an organizational point of view how it's designed, how we can make it work, and then what tweaks we can make in terms of the structure of the overall roster. The next thing we look at then, as well, is around the um, support mechanisms in place for workers, generally around shift work disorder, uh, sorry, sleep disorders such as shift work disorder or obstructive sleep apnea treatment, sleep disorders or that. And so we look at that structure there. Do we have a methodology to catch people on the way into the business? So not that we can screen them out of the business, but we can give them treatment just like we would for any other condition. If somebody came into the business and we found they had type 1 diabetes you know, we could still put them on a management plan for that as well. Can we catch them in the sort of, um, catch the point, not the, the right word, but can we pick them up in the routine medicals as well or in the exit medicals as well so we can make sure that we're constantly looking at our, our employees as well? And that kind of feeds into an overall wellness health strategy where we're looking at age, demographics and so on for the potential prevalence of these sleep disorders. That's the next part we go to. Once we've made those changes around those, then we can start looking at some of the further things like um technology applications on trucks or individuals and then we can start looking at education as well because if we've got a roster that's fundamentally designed wrong we can't go to the individuals and go go to bed at this time get up at this time yeah. do this do that you know don't have a sleep disorder don't snore yeah. don't like people are just gonna be like the roster is fundamentally broken yeah. we can't do this so we start with the organization we get the system right the policies the procedures the shift work design the fly-on fly times all of these things, the potential or possible technolo- technological applications, which are not always needed, by the way. You don't have to spend millions of dollars to fix this problem. And in a lot, of time, a lot of ways, you can actually reduce risk and reduce money as well by fixing this problem. And then we go to individuals and we offer them the support and the education, which has the knock-on and flow-on effect as well.
1: If you're a fly-in, fly-out worker, what are some things you should be doing yourself?
2: I think for fly-in, fly-out workers, like we were just discussing, I think the, the number one thing I would say to people is keep your weight in check. Now, people don't like to hear that, but try and keep your body mass index in a healthy weight range. You know, that's 18 to 25. And I'm not talking about body fat percentages here. I'm talking about BMI. Just that alone can really, you know, reduce your um, potential chance of having a sleep disorder. Um, So if you can keep it in that range. So if it's out of that range, one of the things you can do is you can lower your alcohol consumption as well because that's Mm -hmm. extra calories you don't need. Mm -hmm. You know, or if you start um, drinking a few beers, you might start eating the wrong foods as well. And then the other thing I'd say is on your time off, don't be afraid to catch up on sleep yeah. on the mm-hmm. first few days. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to allow your body to recover mm-hmm. and restore from this as well. But also try and get out of the house. Try and do some exercise. Don't just sit in watching Netflix for seven days in a row. Try and get out, expose to sunlight, spend time with family and friends, spend time enjoying, you know, enjoying life, it's, it's which will help. Yeah, it's, it's time ti- off. It's time off, which yeah. 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 also feed into helping you with mental health. So go and organize activities. Try and you know go swimming with friends, run, whatever it might be, engage in the community. And I know it's difficult, but for as much as you can, I think that would really help you as well.
1: And what about for you, more? So what were some of the individual factors that you've come across when you've been talking to people at...
0: Yeah, science. it's all, it's all t- tied in with exactly what Ian's talking about, That's like just the, just being too tired to do the stuff I used to do. So I used to, I used to run, I used to cycle, it's too hot or I'm too tired or it's you know, I don't have enough time. There's all these barriers to actually a healthy lifestyle. For me, you know, health psychology is my thing and the, the social determinants of health and mental health are, are always in the forefront of my mind. And I think if you're doing rosters that just don't let you have enough time to re- recoup, or enough time to be with family and the so- social connections, everything, I think. We all know the literature always talks about how the biggest factor in, in the treatment plan is social connection. So it's also one of the biggest things when it's not there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a high risk. To me, it's just this big red flag.
1: So thanks a lot for that discussion, Anne. That's really given us uh, some insights into the issues for flying flyout fly out workers and some of the things that can be done. But it sounds like it's pretty challenging.
2: It is challenging Dev, and I think um, and a lot of companies are starting to take note of this. My biggest thing now that I'm trying to do with organizations is start to look for the commercial benefit here as well. I think we can tick all the boxes, the triple line, the triple bottom line approach. We can make people safer, we can support productivity and we can lower costs as well. We've demonstrated that with businesses already so I think if anybody's out there from an organization listening to this and you're a leader don't view this as a, as a as a cost or an additional thing. View this as a value enabler, something that maybe could bring your business to the next level. Like they have, we spoke before in this podcast, I've worked with elite athletes before. Sports teams don't look at this and go, oh, you know, that's going to cost me this. And then, you know, they're looking at it as a way to recover to enable performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is the mindset we should be bringing into business as well. You know, we've got to look at it as about enable productivity performance as well. And we can tick all these boxes and we can we can really do something novel and cool, but we can really add to what's out there. The Deloitte Access Economics Report shows the cost to our society at the moment, our economy. We can do this. And I think one of the best ways to do this is from the business, do
1: it from the ground up. So if people are looking for more information about fly-in, fly-out work, there is the Western Australian Mental Health Commission report, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And Ian's got some great resources. <music> So Ian, we'll take advantage of you being with us this month. What's a tip for health professionals working with fly flyout fly out workers? My
2: number one tip for health professionals, David, would be to look at sleep disorders, look at the prevalence of sleep disorders um, in your organization, and more importantly, how can you um, help those people with the potential prevalence of sleep disorders? How do you refer them down the right way to a GP, onto a sleep clinic, whether it be in a laboratory or you know, remote polysomnography or whatever it may be. But understanding that there's over 70 sleep disorders and probably about one in three people are going to have this on a mind site.
1: Sleep apnea is going to be one of the more common ones, as you yeah. talked about, because obesity is a factor in both shift workers that aren't on mind sites, but also in yeah. flying fly out workers as well.
0: So, David, what's your pick of the month?
1: Well, this is right back at you, Ian. So my, my pick <laughs> is the podcast. My dirty secret is I'm an indoor cyclist. I sort of train indoors. so I don't get knocked off my bike sort of riding on the roads. (laughs) And I'm Zwift, which is an online sort of gaming platform for indoor cycling. I was listening to the regular Zwift Power Up Cycling podcast. And here's Ian over two episodes talking about sleep. So episodes 45 and 46, check them out. Ian, you did an awesome job of really bringing sensible advice about sleep to that group. So... Thank you. That's good. I, I didn't
2: even know that people cycled indoors till so I did that, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: cool. So for me, with a sort of maths physics bent, if it's indoors, I can measure watts and <laughs> watts per kilo, and you know, it's, you get far better numbers indoors than you can get outside. Okay. All right. What about for you, Moira?
0: Well, my pick of the month uh, just came across. In fact, I keep giving, people always give me books. This came just across my desk. A book called Fast Asleep, How to Get a Really Good Night's Rest. And it's Dr. Michael Mosley, who a lot of people know, famous for the, you know, the 5-2 diet and range of weight loss things. And I did think, oh, no, I, I actually was a bit groany because I thought, That's a bit of a worry, didn't we? Just do two podcasts recently on looking at the evidence for sleep and food and sleep and you know diets related to that, and concluded there's not a lot of evidence yet. But we did know that timing of eating and there's a big field with lots of evidence. I haven't read it, but I do have concerns that there's not a lot of the references that we would expect in if you're going to give people advice around sleep and food and timing of that sort of stuff. But I must report that the first chapter did talk about a very important thing and he talked about sleep restriction therapy, which I thought, thank God, I actually audibly sighed hearing that because I know in terms of treating insomnia, for 20 years now, I've been trying to get that message out. So it was the most common mistake for anyone, whether you're a shift worker or not, whether you're a fly in, fly out, whether you're nine to five, if you're not sleeping well, And you're lying in bed trying to sleep well. It just doesn't work very well. You've got to actually understand the counterintuitive thing is that getting out of bed and restricting your time in bed initially to actually get the benefits later. So that's good. So at least that's in there. And if he's this number one bestseller kind of real commercial kind of person that people know and people buy these books, people listen to him. And I'm happy with that because I know that his messages will get out there.
2: Ian, what about for you? David, I've been nearly annoyed, I'd say, as the word by sleep apps. So uh, people are constantly asking me about sleep apps over the last month and about and then they're telling me about, oh, have you seen this new sleep app that measures your sleep cycle and so on? And so uh, for me this month, we're actually writing a blog at the moment for next month's release on our website. If it's free or it's 99 cents, it's probably not that good. It's like if you buy something in a you know, in a bargain shop, it's probably <laughs> going to break within a couple of days. And apps are kind of the same as well. So these things are not medical devices that do not track your sleep with any accuracy. They're basically crap. So uh, delete some megabytes off your phone or whatever it is, the data, save it, download some songs that maybe help you go to sleep. Take these sleep apps off. Please, I'll save you
1: the 99 cents. So thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Look out in upcoming episodes for things about sleep and pain. And Moira, you've prompted me as we should do sleep in healthcare workers. There's lots of good people in Melbourne to talk to
0: about oh, that yeah. and
1: some good research Absolutely. published in the last 12 months or so.
0: And can we do one soon in um, sleep in hospital settings too? Because we this is bad. ICU or even on the wards, people were just... Visitors, staff, patients need to understand oh yeah, how important it is. So remember to send us any suggestions um, at podcast at au. If you do like the podcast, to you, um, tell your friends and colleagues and also you can write a review on Apple Podcasts.
1: Thanks a lot, Ian, for help this month. Thanks so yeah, thanks much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was great
0: having you. Thank you very much.